we've talked about offense a lot in this house, as a lot of you know, but tonight's going to be a little different. And as I was worshiping, I was reminded of a quote that said, um, when you wash people's feet, you often find out why they walk the way they do. Isn't that good? I just want to tell you guys, Jesus knows why you're carrying what you carry. And though he's our king, he's still washing your feet. <laughs> and um, I just felt so strong that, that um, we're going to be unpacking some stuff tonight. We're going to be triggering uh, some things. And I want you actively engaged in the conflict that arises in your spirit and your soul. And remember, Jesus is washing your feet. He's setting people free and uh, work hard to not tune out and shut down, okay? Work hard. Be diligent. The spirit is here. He's going to help you. He's going he's gonna, to, he's so gentle and good. And I just want to say that over you guys. Pastor Josh is not joking. I, <laughs> I'm carrying such a word about this tonight. I feel it in my, in my bones. Um, so unfortunately for you, I love to tell testimony and story, but I'm going to be in my notes. I hate that because I like to be up here and doing the stuff, but I'm going to be in my notes and I, and I really want to release this word with intentionality and I want to communicate it well because I believe it's important for all of us. Um, Guys, God is calling his children into alignment. He, he, I, I actually believe in this house specifically, I, he's doing this with all of his children, but in this house, we are being called into a maturity that's, that we don't understand. We're being called into a maturity that's supernatural. It's not something that we can, we can just walk in and feel good about. This is something God is doing in his house and I kept seeing a picture of a house of, like, the children learning the rules of the house. And they're learning how to engage with one another, you know? The house being his kingdom. And I, and I really feel like we're in this place where he is calling us into obedience but maturity. And we got to start with... <laughs> We got to start with the one thing that really attacks that in the body of Christ, and I believe it's offense. And it's not just normal offense, like just offense that just happens in life. I believe tonight we're going to be unpacking what I, what's called borrowed offenses, and we'll get into that in a minute. But this is prevalent. Um, it's attacking us, and we have to understand the spiritual climate of what's going on when we engage conflict and what's happening. So... Are you guys excited? Dude, I am. I know this is kind of serious and heavy, but guys, this, guess what? The, it's an invitation. The Lord's taken us somewhere. He's taken us somewhere. It's starting tonight. And Pastor Gary said it. If you were in church in second service, like this is a marking moment. It really is. And I don't believe you're here by accident. I know the Lord is seeing your hunger. We have a bunch of peacemakers in the room tonight. We have a bunch of peacemakers in the room tonight. And I just want to say, Healthy Conflict, this series, is not a self-help series. 
It's just not, you guys. It's, a, it's more than that. This series is to help you walk in your calling as someone who makes peace. And not the way the world does, but as the way our Father does. This is, this is an important series. Um, throughout this series, I don't know if they're going to put the slide up, but throughout this series, you're going to learn how to engage conflict, not avoid it. Tonight, specifically, we're going to be going over the number one tactic of warfare that the enemy uses against peacemakers. That's what I love to talk about. And then um, next week, you're going to get Lauren and Aaron and uh, Jeremy Williamson. And they're going to teach you how to practically engage conversations around conflict, um, why people respond the way they do. This is going to be really important. And then um, ultimately you're going to learn how to take that peacemaker identity and go into the world, go into your community and walk that out. It's going to be good. So I just want to pray over us. Father, teach us how to walk as a peacemaker, how to partner with your work of reconciliation and desire to make all things new. Holy Spirit, dispense wisdom and let a spirit of revelation fall on your people tonight that they can begin to see what you mean when you call them a peacemaker. I just believe that you're already doing that right now, Jesus. I said thank you for that. So, guys, let's just dive in. We're going to dive in. I got some really fun stuff. The most destructive thing to happen to humanity is really not the conflict that we find ourselves in. It's just, it's honestly the avoidance of it. Just think about it. It really is. It's the avoidance of conflict. And there's a reason why Jesus identifies God's children as those who make peace. In fact, I proposed, this is going to sound interesting maybe for some, but I actually believe that God created you for chaos. I didn't say he created you to make chaos, which some of you think, you've got it a little mixed up, but like, (laughs) he has created you for chaos. You were designed to be a living reminder that Jesus wins when the spirit of this world is saying contrary. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal, I can't say that word, triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Anyone who heard Paul say that back in the day, they knew what he was referencing. And some of you in this room do. When the Romans won an army, he would, they would send out a herald. He would run back to the city of Rome. They would run through the streets, and they would say, we won, we won, which would trigger a series of events. They would light the incense in the temples, a special, specific incense. They would light it in the temple. And then everyone would come out of their homes. They would line the city streets. And they would go to the city gate, and they would wait for the commanding officer to come in on a, on a golden chariot with white horses. And he would be coming through the city gate. It would be like loud cheer. You could smell the fragrance in the air. But pulling behind him were the, the enemy's officers. They were dragging the enemy's officers. So Paul's, he's saying... 
Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in this triumphant procession and through us spreads the fragrance and knowledge of him, him everywhere. Christ has made us victors and empowered us with the Holy Spirit so that we can go dragging the devil behind us. Parading the enemy defeated in Christ as victor. It's important that we get this. There's a reason why we are a peacemaker. <laughs> There's a reason. Guess who's in that chariot with him? Guys, I was the kid and still an adult. When a pastor asked a rhetorical question, I answered from the seat. <laughs> you know, like I was that kid. So if, you, or if you're that kid, don't hold back. You can answer. But you are in the chariot with Christ. How many of you, if you, if you just be honest, struggle seeing yourself in the chariot with Christ as a victor? Some of you? A lot of us have at different seasons of our life. A lot of us have. And I, re I really do. I want to release a spirit of revelation over you that the, that the spirit of God will show you Christ as your victor. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to, to read your word and get it, but we want to we wanna embody it. It's important. How, it's, it's just not that Christ is the victor in the future, you guys. It's present day victor. He is our victorious one. He's our king, and we are dragging the enemy. Every time we make peace in conflict, we are dragging our enemy through the procession, and the fragrance of God is being wafted around. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on that too much, you know, but I, I get so amped up when I think about that visual. Our truest calling from Christ is that we are a peacemaker, that, that you are called to engage conflict because it really does reveal who who was one. Church, if the pandemic and the last presidential election did one thing, it revealed that many of us, we handle conflict no different than the world. And I'm including myself in that statement. Um, we put more weight on the kingdom of this world than we do the one we're a part of. And we cannot, I, I mean this, we cannot move forward in the midst of conflict and the tension as we have in the past. We have some stuff coming up, right? We have some, we have a presidential election coming up. We have some stuff coming up, and we cannot go through that again. We, we have got to walk in peace and make peace in the midst of everything that the world is saying. It's actually, I feel like it's a commandment that the Lord's giving his, his body right now. And he's calling us into maturity, Blurting out, and I, I want you to know, like, I, I'm talking to myself. I'm, you guys are my people. This is my house where I belong with you. So I'm talking to me too. Blurting out your enraged opinion about present-day conflict on Facebook is not engaging battle. That's actually nothing more than putting your offenses on display. It's not the same as making peace, church. 
tonight as a community, I, I, we all can walk in repentance of this. And I say that in a, in a cheerful way. We can all walk out this day as an act of repentance and choose to make peace and, and walk in a place of maturity that we haven't done in the past. It's, I, I really do believe that you were created for the chaos. <laughs> I actually believe that your desires and your dreams um, are actually signals of the areas where you are called to make peace. I think that's what it is. Think about this. Everyone sitting in this room right now, I can barely see you because of the lights. I see Chris walking. But everyone sitting in this room right now has a promised land that's surrounded by conflict, much like the children of Israel. And much like the children of Israel, with each battle, each day, they waited for their manna to be supplied. They faced conflict eye to eye, but God was always right there with them. However, the word tells us that there were some who were offended at how God <laughs> handled them. They grumbled, they complained, and the word says that because of, an, because of that, an entire generation didn't enter into the promised land. It's really important to get this, people. How you navigate the conflict in your life matters. How you speak about your conflict and the conflict of other people matters. God is trying to get his people somewhere. He's trying to get you somewhere. He's not avoiding the conflict. He's using it to show you who wins. Because <laughs> some of us aren't getting it. Right now, every single person in this room is facing something. Obviously, I'm facing things. But I'm positioning myself as a peacemaker in the chariot with Christ, and I know I'm going to be dragging that enemy behind me through the gates, and I'm going to be professing that Christ is king, and I'm going to handle my conflict much different than someone who just doesn't, doesn't understand why this is happening to me. It's important that you get this. Conflict is your opportunity to experience the miraculous in the kingdom that's not this world. As believers, this might be a little, you know, you know, listen, as believers, we don't pray for conflict to go away. It's an opportunity. We pray for the Holy Spirit to show us how is our Father addressing, making peace in this situation. That's a different posture as a child of God. He says that the children of God are peacemakers. So, church, you're called to make peace. You're called to face conflict. And one thing that's always present when there's conflict, which, remember, is your opportunity, is offense. It's always present. Offense is the number one tactic that the enemy uses to keep you from stepping into your calling to make peace on earth as it is in heaven. 
Think about it. If God created you to be a solution to conflict, offense is the enemy army surrounding the heart of an issue in an attempt to distract and deflect what the heart of the matter is. You want me to say it again? <laughs> offense is the number, or so let me go to the next one. Start there? Okay. <laughs> You guys, you don't understand how slow I'm going. I want to talk fast. Like, I'm a fast talker. But you can tell me. You can tell me to say it again. I will. Offense is the number one tactic the enemy uses to keep you from stepping into your calling to make peace on earth as it is in heaven. God created you to be a solution to conflict. So what that means is offense is the enemy army surrounding the heart of an issue, an attempt to distract and deflect you from making peace. I want to acknowledge that there are three types of offenses. There's direct offense, and Lauren and Jeremy and Aaron are going to really unpack this way better. But there's a direct offense, offenses that have been committed against you. Then there's given offenses, offenses that you've done to other people. We've all done that. And then there's borrowed offenses. There's someone else's offenses that you've taken on. <laughs> They're not even yours. And some of you may be like, oh, I don't do that. You do that. <laughs> I know you do that because I've seen your Facebook posts. <laughs> I'm just saying. Offense prevents us from seeing the will of the Father in any given matter, as well as prevents us from manifesting the heart of God in any given situation. The aim of offense is to cloud your seeing. It influences your reasoning so that you're ineffective at demonstrating the heart of God in the measure he desires. And I wanna, I'm going to ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question. I want you to hang on to it, and I want you to think about it as we unpack the rest. Can you be called to set the captives free without having offense with the captor? I want you to think about it. We're going to keep going. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. You guys all know that. You probably... You know, could say that in your sleep. But God didn't send Jesus because he was offended and disgusted at the world. Romans 5.10 says that while we were enemies to God, Christ came to die for us. So even as his enemies, God chose to see our value and his motive was love. Offense, offering us a way to reconcile. There was, there was no offense. We were vile. We were his enemy. But that's not what he partnered with. If God was offended at the world, he would have sent Jesus with a sword. Think about this. It's actually the reason why the Jews rejected Jesus. They were expecting their Messiah to come actually with a sword to conquer and reign, just like they knew the, the way of their world. It's why they rejected him. They thought that he was going to come, wage war with their enemies, and oppress their oppressors. And they were going to be victorious. 
But Jesus was so offensive to the Jews because he came revealing a way of the kingdom that they had never seen before. They wanted power, he came in meekness. They wanted to rule, he came to serve. They wanted punishment, and he offered mercy and forgiveness. God didn't empower Jesus with a physical sword. Instead, he empowered him with the sword of the Spirit that divided things rightly. To see others the way God sees them. Guys, are you catching this? <laughs> I burn with this stuff. If you, if you can catch this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to transform your life. Jesus, right there in front of them, was making peace, and they could not see it. He was literally in the process of making all things new, and they rejected it. The kingdom of God is highly offensive to the ways of this world. And I know this message is really sobering, and it's kind of weighty, but... And that's not my style, if you know me. I like to laugh. I'm all about joy. But this is joy. This is joy, if you get it. I want to look at how offense actually inhibited Jesus. I always hear people say, Jesus, there was never a person Jesus didn't heal. That's actually not true. <laughs> you guys. Okay, open your Bible to March or to Mark 6. And I actually got Paul, Pastor Paul's Bible because I have a different translation. So he let me use it. Isn't that sweet? I should have used Christie's because she has the big font. So we're at, we're at, I think they're going to throw it up there. I don't know if they are or not. If Ian Crombie's up there, he'll throw it up there. So we're in Mark, Mark 6, 1 through 6. So Jesus went away from there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not the carpenter the son of is this not the carpenter the son of Mary the brother of James Joseph Je Jose, Jose? <laughs> We have a typo in your bible Paul <laughs> Okay let's get let's let's focus let's focus is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James? Are these not his sisters who are here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except he did lay hands on a few sick people and they got healed, <laughs> which makes me laugh. But he marveled at their unbelief. Even Jesus couldn't do what he came to do because of people's unbelief and their, and their offense. I need you guys to catch this because not only is offense preventing you from stepping into the things you're called to, 
but it also can prevent you from receiving all that Jesus wants to do in your mind and your body and your soul. Even Jesus, guys. And he marveled at their unbelief. Jesus desires, he, he wanted to go home, I imagine, and to heal his friends and his family and to, to, to reveal the heart of the Father and to, to, to show them about this kingdom. But offense robbed them of the blessing Jesus wanted to, to bestow upon them. Some of your biggest battles with offense will happen inside communities that know you personally. But guess what? That's not an excuse <laughs> for you to be a victim to offense. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying it's painful, but we don't partner with it. We don't make agreements with it. It's noticed. It's, so walking in offense or carrying the offense will impact your ability to experience the kingdom of God in your life. It'll prevent the kingdom from working even through you. It's funny because if you want a real practical example of this, my dad, so I'm, I have lived in a male-dominated world, only male cousins, only brothers, um, lots of men in my life. I only have sons. Um, but the one thing I got to do with my dad is I sat down at the table, and he would read the word of God, and I just loved it. He would read the Bible to me. He'd ask me questions about the scripture. Loved it. But as I got older, like a teenager, he would, uh, he'd, say, he'd say, Nicole, come, that's my middle name, Nicole, Nicole, come sit down. Let's, I want you to see this pastor. He's amazing on TV. And I mean, like within a few minutes, I'd be like, Dad, I can't watch this guy. His neck like moves like a turkey. I'm not, I'm not watching him. I'm not. It was hard. Or it would be some pastor who's 80 with like ripped jeans and a piercing in his ear. I'd be like, can't, can't do it, Dad. <clears throat> And he would just say, like, he, he always says this to me. He always says this. He still says it to me today. You have to be willing to climb over a fence to get the pearl of wisdom. He's always said that to me. So I would have to, he'd say it, and I'd sit there, and I'd be like, okay. Just, like, stare. <laughs> just going to, like, look past it. And eventually... Because I started to discern, I started to become aware, actually, what was happening. It was spiritual. It was spiritual. So I started to become aware of what was actually happening when I felt highly offended by someone. Some of you are having this battle right now with me. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. But what I'm saying is you have to understand what the spirit is trying to rob you of. You have to be able to climb over a fence to get the pearl of wisdom. Just like dad says. But I want to kind of shift gears. I feel like you understand why offense is so detrimental to our walk as a, as a peacemaker. But what's worse is a borrowed offense. This isn't even your offense. Why are we taking those on? 
And I know some of you are thinking, oh, I don't do that, but let's, let me just break it down of how that works. And I'm trying to do it so I don't give a real example. <laughs> it's hard for me because I want to tell, tell stories. But um, Pastor Paul's here. He's safe. I can, I can pick on him. But let's say, like, uh, my husband Ben and Paul get into it over something. And Ben comes home, and he's like, Paul this, Paul that. And I start to think, like, that's not right. That's not okay, right? That's not good. What generally happens with offenses is, because remember, we're talking about spiritual things, right? What generally happens with a borrowed offense is that he's coming over here, he's telling me all this stuff, and I actually, I'm like feeling for him. Before I know it, I'm kind of avoiding Paul, which if you know Paul, that's a really hard to do. So I'm kind of avoiding him, kind of being pleasant, and then kind of days go into weeks, and then the next thing you know, like, we completely are just passing each other in the hallways. We're not talking to each other. But the Spirit of God, as always, generally will lead to people who are in conflict, if they're really walking in the Spirit, to reconciliation. That happens. That's how we walk as believers. Now, here's Ben and Paul, and they reconcile. But I'm kind of messed up now. <laughs> You know why I messed up? Because I can't go to Paul and get reconciliation. It wasn't my offense. That's, a, that's kind of a problem. You see how the enemy is so subtle? If he can't get you through direct offenses, he's going to try another way. And also, guys, borrowed offenses aren't just personal it's our entertainment today. You turn on the news, it's a constant stream of borrowed offenses. And you don't know you're taking it on. It's doing damage to you. I want to read a story about one of the most... When I, was, when I was writing my notes, when I was writing my notes out, I could not stop thinking about this story about a borrowed offense in the Bible. So if you want to turn with me, I don't know if Ian's going to throw that up there, but 2 Samuel, it's actually, it's actually not, I have my notes wrong. It's actually 2 Samuel. I marked your Bible up, Paul, with sticky notes. It's 2 Samuel 13, verse 18. We're going to talk about David and Absalom. And you, some of you may know this story, and I'm just going to try to read a little bit of it because just for our time. But now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves for this, for thus this is how virgin daughters did. They dressed like that. Um, and what I guess I need to give you a little context Absalom's half-brother rapes his sister. I don't know if you know that story, but she was a virgin. It says she was beautiful, and his, his, the half-brother coveted her, wanted her, rapes her, and then she says, you have to marry me now, and he says, I don't want anything to do with you. You're disgusting. Get out of my sight, and kicks her out. Well, a woman back then who's raped is like, no good. She has no value anymore. What is she going to do? She will, she will be 
desolate. And you have to remember, this is David's children. This is King David's children. So I'm going to pick up at verse 18. Now she was wearing a long robe. This is how the virgins dressed. So his his servant put her out and bolted the door. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head. And she went away crying aloud as she went. And the brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in Absalom's house. And when King David heard about these things, he was angry. But Absalom spoke not to Amnon. I can't say his name. But he hated him. So I want you to think about this. Absalom's sister gets raped. He goes, they go to the dad, King David, and he's mad, but that's his firstborn. That's his priority, and he did nothing. There was no justice had for his sister. Can you think of the reason why this is a borrowed offense? Because this didn't happen directly to Absalom. This is his sister. And so he takes her in. He takes care of her. But did you notice how he says to her, take heart? Tamar, don't let this affect you. And he takes her in. He's going to take care of her. But you know what? He didn't take care of himself. Because if you know the story, if you know the story, he went down a very destructive path. A very destructive path. Sin has consequences. So I want you to understand this. Everything I'm saying tonight doesn't mean that sin doesn't have consequences. Offense hurts. These are real things. But you don't want someone else's sin to become yours. Okay? To get a clearer picture of how a borrowed offense actually impacted him, I know you know some of the story, how he went on, he tried to overthrow David. But he would go to the city gate... He would go to the city gate, which is where people came to complain about the king. He would go to the city gate, and he would wait for the complaints to come in. And then he would say to them, hey, if I was, your complaint is valid, and I'm I'm sick that this king is not listening to you. If I were your king, I, I would honor you. I would vindicate you. That's what, that's what borrowed offenses do. You start spreading your propaganda. Because it feels right. You start going to the people. You start gathering up your people. You start spreading the word. And before you know it, you're creating stumbling blocks for other people now. Borrowed offenses are dangerous. And I know some of you are in this house and you're already starting to put two and two together. You're starting the Holy Spirit showing things to you. Like, oh, I remember this. I, I, I have this issue. This person's coming up to mind. But I want you to remember what I said in the beginning. Jesus is washing your feet. He knows why you walk the way you walk. But that's not yours to carry. And it never was. You can bear one another's burdens and empathize and mourn and grieve without empowering people to embrace unforgiveness. I want to tell you it's not something that you can do in your own strength. You can't be emotionally intelligent enough to do it. 
this is a work of the Spirit. Because if someone raped my sister, it will take a work of God to help me navigate that. I want you to understand that there's two types of wisdom. I'm going to end on this. There's two types of wisdom. James 13, 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? But his good conduct let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So there's a picture of two types of wisdom here. There's a wisdom that makes peace, no matter how hard it is. But then there's a wisdom. There's a reason why it's called a wisdom, you see. There's also a reason why (laughs) the enemy is called an angel of light. This other kind of wisdom presents itself as virtuous, as noble, as something that you would, you would actually embody and take. It's not this just outlandish, blatant lie. This second wisdom feels like wisdom. It's sound, it's, or they wouldn't call it wisdom. But it does not bear the fruit of the spirit, and it never will. No matter how logical, how justified it feels, This is what Absalom got caught up in. He was going to vindicate his sister. It was right. It caused him to sin. And we saw his outcome. James 3.15, I'm going to look at it one more time. All of these things carry the appearance of wisdom. It's why believers embrace it. But it does not bear peace in your life. It comes with reason, common sense, sound logic. The telltale signs of offense will always be arrogance, bitterness, jealousy, division, pride. And I want to tell you this, too. You don't have to be bitter to be offended. Sometimes it just feels right. The devil presents offense not as what it is. It comes to you as insight, as virtue, as the very subtle reasoning of logic. It comes to you as something that you would would accept. But you need to remember this, that the enemy is only giving you part truth. I know this is weighty. I know this is a lot. But I need you to realize offense is the number one tactic that the enemy is using against the body of Christ right now and actually always has been. But right now, I've never seen it manifested on such a prevalent level that it is. In church, we've got to do better. You have got to see the spirit behind these things. You have got to stop making agreements with it and partnering it with it. We have to. It's our commandment. The Spirit of God leads us into all truth. If you want to know the truth, I actually think this, critical thinking 
is one of the most supernatural things that can happen. The spirit of God is critical thinking. It's, it's the way of a king. It seeks out to understand. It sees both sides of the story. It's all the dimensions. That's critical thinking. The enemy is giving you half-truths. It tells you half the story. You stop right there, and you'll see if you have a half-truth because you start being critical, not thinking critically. There's a difference. True wisdom will not be without peace, not only inside of you but towards other people. The safest place to share your offense (laughs) are these borrowed offenses that come to you because they come in waves, is on your knees in the presence of God. Tell them all of it. Don't hide. Don't hold it back. It's the safest place to share these things with him because when you're in his presence, he, he leads you into truth. He'll show you the whole story, and you'll bear his fruit. I just promise you. So I really wanted to do ministry time, but man, it's heavy in here. Tyler, if you want to come up, we have to take a moment. There's going to be some of us that really are ready to, like, let it go. We're ready to walk in repentance. We're ready to lay down all of our borrowed offenses that we've been taking on that aren't even ours. We're ready. I believe the Spirit of God is recalling offenses in some of your minds right now. I really do because I know he already has been in, in me when I was writing this. But I have some really good news. (laughs) There's no agreement that you've made with offense that when you stop agreeing with it has rights to you anymore. You guys understand what that means? (laughs) There's no shame if you've been walking in this stuff and not realizing what spirit you're entertaining. It's actually today we get to stop the agreement. We get to walk in repentance and we get to walk new and whole Because Jesus is making all things new in us. And you'll watch, you'll start to make peace in everything outside of you. It's a shift that can happen literally right now. Right now. And I know some of you are like, I don't believe it. You can't let go of the offense. But I want to tell you, again, Jesus is washing your feet. He knows why you're caring He knows the way you've been walking. He knows why. And he's still washing you clean. And some of you are ready to step into your callings. You're ready to see miracles. And you want to see the the sick healed. You want to see blind open's eyes. You want to see the the eyes of the blind opened. You want to see the deaf here. Some of you just want to have peace in your home. And I really believe tonight's your night. I believe it. If our ministry team will come forward, 
And if the ministry team needs help, we'll just pray over each other. <laughs> Church, tonight, um, Jesus desires to lead you into peace. And if that's you, I just want you to go ahead and just start coming to the front. There are some of you, I wrote this down because I felt this really strongly. There's some of you who know that you've been called by God, but you've been partnering with wisdom of this world, and it's caused you to take on bitterness. Some of you know that you have a calling from God, but you are offended at the very people that you're called to. Tonight, we can let that go. If that's you, if you're ready, I want you to stand up and I want you just to make your way to the front. Just come. Just come. Father. Father, I believe that you're leading people into all truth. I believe right now that you're showing them the things that they need to let go. That today is a marking day. Today, as a body, as a community, we are walking in repentance with you, Jesus. We are no longer making agreements with the spirit of this world. We are going to see things rightly. Father, I just ask you to just soften the hearts of your people, that they can be transformed and they can be renewed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.